Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. We're going to start a new series today called Shame, Fear, and Control. And, and these are three things that a lot of times people in the church world battle. They, and, and a lot of times it seems like these three things are really three separate things, and, and they are. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of Christians who live their life and they, they still walk in the shame of their past. They, they still remember who they were. They, and, and the enemy constantly brings up their past to them or, or, or shameful events from their past. And he constantly reminds them of, of those events and those marks that they had. And, you know, even as, as Cassidy was sharing, you know, just that others you battle with fear. And, and how fear will keep us from speaking to someone, or fear will keep us from taking steps of faith, or, or, or uh, a fear of failure, or fear of rejection will, will keep us from, uh, you know, connecting in with other believers and developing relationships and things that we need. And then there's others that we, we struggle with control. Like, we, we just want control of the situation. We, you know, if things start slipping out of our control, we react or, or uh, you know, try to get things back under control. We try to manipulate people sometimes or, and things. And, and really, these are three separate things, but also these three things work together in a cycle that you see in Scripture. And you can see all three of these things in the, the, the very first time that man sinned. You can see these three things. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says that the, the woman was convinced by the serpent. And, and she saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted wisdom that it would give her. Now remember the enemy came and, and he was questioning, that, did God really say that? And, and then he began to say, no, listen, you're going to... God's just trying to hold things back from you. He doesn't want you to be wise like him. And, and, and so she falls for it. She believes that it's going to uh, give her wisdom. She took the, the fruit and she ate it. And then she turned and she gave some of it to her husband who was with her. Now, I know a lot of people want to throw uh, Eve under the bus all the time and be like, well, Eve is the one that ate the fruit. But it says Adam was right there with her. I mean, why didn't Adam knock the fruit out of her hand? Why didn't Adam, if, if Eve was going to entertain the serpent, why didn't Adam, who was told by God, you have dominion over every field, why didn't Adam take authority of the serpent and throw it out? Okay, so we can't sit here and blame poor little old Eve for all this stuff when her husband was sitting right there watching all of this unfold. And it doesn't even say they got in an argument over it, you know, or anything like that. He didn't tell her to stop, not to eat it, anything like that. She, she turns and gives him the fruit and it says, and he ate it too. <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. No convincing, no dialogue. He just ate the fruit. It says at, the mo at that very moment that their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame. They felt shame at their nakedness. 
And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool of the evening breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And so they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord called to man and said, where are you? Now, do you really think that God didn't know where they were? Like, do you really think, like, like he, he's shocked by, like, any of this stuff? Like, no, he, he knew exactly where they were. He was asking Adam if Adam was going to be real about where he was and what happened. And it says, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, and so I hid because I was afraid because I was naked. Now, when you look at this, it says that as soon as Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the first thing they felt was shame. So because they had shame, they, they ran and they hid themselves. But it says why they hid themselves. Why, why did they hide themselves? It says because they were afraid. Now, why was this any different? They, they were never afraid to walk in the presence of God before. The Bible talks about how God would come down in the cool of the evening and he would walk with them. But now, shame has led to fear of God and being afraid of God to the point of this, this God that they had walked with, this God that, that Adam had named the animals with and all of these things, now he's running from. And then they tried to control the situation by covering themselves with fig leaves. So in the very thing, you can see this cycle of shame and fear and control. Shame will lead to, to fear of being found out. And so then when we're afraid that we're going to find out, uh, we're going to be found out, then we begin to try to control and manipulate situations so that people uh, uh, can't, they're not going to know who we are or, or what took place in our life. And so we begin to cover things up. I mean, think about this. You men, when you struggle on your phone or on a computer, the first thing that hits is shame. Oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? That was so stupid. And you start feeling shame. And then you're like, oh, no, my wife's going to find out. And then what do you try to do? You try to control the situation by clearing out the search engine. Do you see how it begins to operate and and it, began, it, it can become a cycle that we're in. And, and here's the thing that we have to understand is, is sometimes the, the shameful thing isn't even a, a, a sin that we committed. Sometimes the, the shame is from something that has been committed against us. Something that we didn't want. Something that we had no control over. Sometimes when there's abuse or there, there, there's, there, there's sexual uh, abuse or things like that. The, then the enemy will come in and, and begin to, to tell you that, that you caused this and he'll bring shame and he'll begin to, to, to just weigh on you with shame and then you become to become fearful of relationships and everything. And then every relationship you try to control and you try to manipulate so that you can be the person in power so that you never lose power again. And it's a cycle that if we're not careful... Every time that we make a mistake and we fall in an area of sin, then there's going to be this fear of being found out. And, and then we try to push everybody away because we don't want to be rejected. 
And see, I think there's a couple words that we have to differentiate so that we can understand what I am talking about what I am, what I'm not talking about. Because a lot of times, we'll put guilt and shame together as if they're the same thing. But guilt and shame are not the same thing. Guilt is really based on fact. It's what we feel when we've done something wrong. Okay, so when you have sinned, when you have fallen, when you have done something wrong, there is going to be a level of guilt that hits. And honestly, the guilt is deserved because you're guilty of the sin, right? And so it's an initial reaction that I've committed a sin and guilt hits as a, as a thing, as, as a, a attack of the enemy. But, but, but shame takes guilt and wants to rub your face in your guilt. Shame moves beyond the fact that you failed. It moves beyond the fact that you made a mistake or, or that something happened. And, and shame wants to begin to make you think that something is wrong with you. And that's why this happened. That now, not only did I, I sin, but, but because I sinned, and, and because this is something that's happened before in my life, and it's something that's repeated in my life, then there has to be something broken in me. There has to be something wrong with me. And, and then what happens is we begin to feel so shameful and, and everything, that the same way we're afraid that if people knew who we really were, because now we're not just saying, yes, I, I committed a sin, but we've identified ourselves with the sin because shame has said, you're broken, you're wrong, you're never going to be able to get out of this, this is all your fault, you're the only one that's struggling with this, and it puts you in isolation where you feel like, I'm, 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 something's wrong with me. I mean, let's be honest, how many of you have ever felt like because there's been a repeated pattern of sin or something that they're like you're defective like something is wrong like you're messed up and then when we feel that way then we go into protection mode we begin to feel like we can't trust other people and we keep them at an arm's length because we're these horrible humans that something is completely wrong with. And then versus being able to have genuine relationship with people, we try to control all of the relationships. And if anybody begins to get too close to us and begins to touch that point of shame, then what do we do? We pull away. And many times this is what leads to people continuing in a pattern of sin. Is because the enemy will convince them, you're going to do this anyway. You might as well just go ahead and do it. Because this is really who you are. You're a failure. You're hopeless. You're stuck. Other people can find freedom. Other people can find healing. But not you. Because something's wrong with you. 
And that's why many people just give up and walk away from church. I've had people tell me, like, I just don't believe that God could do that for me. And there's many people that, you know, we talk about how God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing and, and over the past couple of weeks and, and stuff. And, and instantly we're like, yeah, but that one's not for me because I'm broken and I'm messed up. And, I'm, you know, I can see that for other people, but that can't be for me. But I, I want to tell you good news. Shame is a liar. You are being lied to by shame. When you go and you look at scriptures, it is never God's desire that we walk around in shame. And unfortunately, a lot of times the church has echoed the voice of the shamer. And we have echoed the voice of the accuser more than we've echoed the voice of God. And so we look at people and we condemn people in their sin. And we tell them that we're, they're going to hell. And we tell them that something's wrong with them. And we put them, and all we're doing is echoing the lies of the enemy. And we're just adding to the shame to where they feel like this is hopeless. Why do I want this? It, 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 at least if I'm not going and listening to these messages about what a big failure I am, then I can be ignorant to the fact and I can sin blissfully without knowing that I'm a failure. I mean, and that's why people walk away. But when you look at Scripture, even when God was correcting his children, when they were in idolatry, when they were, uh, you know, away from him and and. And everything, like, he never rubbed their face in shame. The book of Isaiah is a place where you'll see many times where it talks about shame. And, and you have to understand that the book of Isaiah was written to the nation of Israel. The first part of the nation of Israel is saying, because of your idolatry, because of your sin, or Isaiah is saying, because of your sin and everything, you're going to be sent to exile and everything because you're, you're, you are walking away from God. You're serving other gods. Like, you are in sin right now. And so there's going to be a period of exile. But then he even tells them that even in the exile, that the exile is not hopeless. That the exile is to bring them back into restoration to God. That we don't have to be afraid of even the chastisement of God and everything. Because Hebrews tells us that the fact that God chastises us or allows us to be punished in different things shows that we are legitimate children of God. That it's actually an act of his love that he punished. I mean, think about this. As a parent, if you never correct your child, do you really love that child? Because when they get older, they ain't going to be able to have a job. They're not going to be able to get married all this. Or if they do, it's going to end quickly. And, and like they're going to get married and then divorce and then married and divorced and married and divorced. And people aren't going to like them like, they, because they've they never been told no. They, they, they don't know how to react. They don't know how to respond when anybody's different. The, the boss wants them there on time. <sighs> Are you serious? Like on time is when I show up. Time to start. I'm here. I mean, that's the way it was in my house. Dinner didn't start until I showed up at the table. It didn't matter how long mom was yelling for me. You see what I'm saying? Like, you're, the correction is for their good. 
And for some reason, we've allowed the enemy to paint a picture uh, that when God corrects us, that it's got to be shameful and horrible and he doesn't love us and, and all of those things like that. But it, he, he corrects us because he loves us. And I want you to look at what he says about these. This are, these are his children who are openly in sin at the moment. And this is what the Lord is speaking to him. Isaiah 45 verse 17, it says, Israel has been saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. And you will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. He's not, they're in idolatry. They are serving other gods. They are breaking the first two commandments. And, and have been sent prophet after prophet and still refused. But he still says, oh, but Israel's been saved with an everlasting salvation. They're, they're going to be brought in and they're not going to be put to shame. He's speaking over what he's going to bring them into. He goes, Isaiah 54, verse 4, he says, fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. That, that word for shame and disgrace are kind of interchangeable here. So this even, even means the, the same thing here. And forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember it no more. I mean, this already, again, this is, these are prophecies that God keeps going back, sending Isaiah back to the nation of Israel. You're not going to be put to shame. I'm not going to put you to shame. I'm not going to put you, in fact, don't remember the shame of your past. I don't, I don't want the shame of your past to be anything that comes into your mind. I want you to be restored to me. We don't have to walk around in shame. Afraid that God is just ready to pour out his wrath on us. Because God's heart isn't to destroy us. God's heart is to save us. And it was so much to save us that he sent his one and only son to a cross. And he bore our sin and our shame at the cross so that we don't have to carry it. Another prophet that prophesied kind of in the same time as the prophet Joel. And the prophet Joel kind of pulled bits and pieces of other prophets and, and, and put together uh, his, his prophecy and thing that he wrote. And in the, in the uh, prophecy in Joel, Joel chapter 2, he says, You will have plenty to eat until you are satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders in you. My people will never again be put to shame. Again, as he is prophesying, these people are in sin. And he's saying, that's not where I want to leave. I'm not, not going to leave you in a place of shame. I want to bring you into the place of blessing where you have plenty. You're going to be satisfied. You won't be ashamed again. Verse 27 says, then you will know that I am present in Israel. And that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. 
God is literally saying, what I am going to show you is that all these other gods that you think are gods are not real gods because I will take your shame and I will eliminate your shame, bring you into blessing as proof that I am the one true God, that I am a God of love and mercy, a God of forgiveness, a God who is able to take your shame and turn it around and make something out of your life. And my people will never again be put to shame. Not only does he say that he's wanting to bless them and that he doesn't walk them into shame, but but this isn't even the end of what he says in verse 28. And he says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even on your men servants and your maid servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now some of y'all may be like, I've heard that passage before. Yes. At the day of Pentecost when Peter steps out and says, he quotes this. It's in Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18. He is quoting the prophet Joel and saying that I am getting ready to pour out my spirit on all flesh. That he's getting ready to move to where our sons and daughters don't walk around in the shame and the sins of their father. But our sons and daughters walk around under the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit with the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to be in shame. I want you to be empowered. I don't want you walking around with your head held low and and, and in sackcloth and ashes. I want to be able to bless my children. And be among my children. But if you notice... One of the words there was afterwards, I will pour out. And the afterwards isn't talking about once he gives blessing, like there's something even before that that comes. Before the blessing can come and before the spirit can be poured out, there is something else above that that is crucial that we have to see. It's Joel chapter 2 verse 12. He says, yet now, declares the Lord, you need to return to me with all of your heart. You need to return with fasting, with weeping and mourning. I want you to rend your hearts and not your garments. Why was he saying this? Because it was a thing among the, the, the Pharisees and the, the Jewish leaders that when they were showing their grief and their sorrow that they would, they would rend their, their, their garments and they would sit in sackcloth and everything. And God is saying, like, I don't want an outward demonstration. Like, I don't want you just to go through the motions and say you're sorry. I don't want you just to, to, to go through a thing where everybody thinks that you're sorry, but on the inside, you're really not sorry. On the inside, you're really not broken. Instead, I want you to rend your heart. Because I don't want just your outward actions. I want your heart. 
And there's so many people in the church today that want to give God all the outward actions. We want to give Him the hands raised. And we want to give Him the serve at food truck or serve in the church. And we want to do all these outward things to show God, I'm sorry, I, I really love you, and, and, and please forgive me, and, and, and that type of thing. And, and we try to earn God's favor by the outward actions. And God's like, I don't, I don't, I don't need all the outward stuff right now. Listen, what I, what I really want, I just want communion with you. I just want your love. Now, why could he say, I just want your love? Because Jesus had said, like, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to do the things I tell you to if you really love me. If you love me, the natural reaction is obedience. The natural reaction is a desire to want to please. So instead of just going through religious actions... Give me your heart. Return to me. God is telling his church now, you, you've been chasing after the gods of money. You've been chasing after the gods of convenience. You've been chasing after the gods of comfort. You've been chasing after the gods of position. You've been chasing after the gods of pleasure. You've been chasing after all of these things. And I don't want you just to come to church and, and raise your hands. I don't want you just to begin to go through motions of religion and everything. I want your heart. So don't, don't, don't just bring me actions with no heart. I mean, this is throughout Scripture. Constantly he's, he's telling them, like, their lips say the right things, but their heart is far from me. The eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro to find someone whose heart will be wholly his. God is looking for people who heart him. Not just we heart ice cream or we heart New York or we heart whatever. Why well, I said you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. We've got to come to a position where we realize, are we really loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? It says because God is gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love, loving devotion. And he relents from sending disaster. One of the biggest reasons why people don't turn to God with all of their heart is because of shame. Because the enemy has convinced them that they're broken and God doesn't want them. That God couldn't use them. That God couldn't bless them because of their shame. Shame's goal is to keep you in a place where you think you're so flawed that nobody would want you and that, that God certainly would want, wouldn't want you. Because if we feel so shameful, then we won't take the step that, that Joel was really talking about here of taking a step of repentance, of saying, God, I am sorry that I put other gods before you. I am sorry that I made my life more about me 
and what I want than you and what you want. But one of the things that we have to understand when it comes to the area of shame is we have to understand like what God's expectation is of us. Because, you know, some people take that verse that says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, and we try to strive for perfection. And then when we can't hit perfection, then we feel like a failure. But can I tell you something? The biblical standard is not perfection. If you look at the biblical standard of the people who are men of God or women of God that were used by God for the kingdom of God, it was men and women who had faults and failures. And when they fell and they made mistakes and, and when they, 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 they stumbled and, and all of that, they didn't stay down wallowing in the guilt and shame, but they got up and repented and got in right standing with God again. God is just looking for people that when we stumble and when we fall, well, Pastor Brandon, you're acting as if you think we're going to sin. Yes, I think you're going to sin. There is only one person who lived on this earth without sin, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. Every other individual. Like, can, can we be 100% honest? How many of you, since you were saved, have sinned? If you don't have your hand up, either you're not saved or you just sinned because you just lied. In church, to a pastor, that's three lies right there. So now you can raise your hand. And the Bible even tells us it, it's a... If we were never going to sin again, why are there so many scriptures about repenting from your sin? That we have an advocate with the Father, that if we sin, I mean, First John 1, 9 says, if we would just confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sin, or to, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would he put that in there if we were never going to sin again? Now, this doesn't give you a license to sin. If you think it gives you a license to sin, go read Romans chapter 6. That will shut that down right there. It says, should we continue in sin? God forbid. No, we shouldn't continue in sin. So we have to take that pressure off that if we've ever made a mistake, that now that means we're a failure and we're horrible and we're shameful and wallow around in that shame. And if we find ourselves continually falling into the same sin, the Bible also teaches us a way to be healed in that area from our sin. And that's in James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for them. Pray for one another so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous man has great power working in it. But see, here's the thing. If the enemy can convince us to stay under the cloud of shame, we can't tell anybody about our sin. They'll reject us. They'll, 
myself think, well, you know how I know? Like, when we're in here on a Sunday, there'll be times when I tell y'all, bow your heads for a second. If God is speaking to you that this is an area of struggle in your life and you want prayer, I want you to slip up your hands. And there'll be hands that go up all over the room. And then I say, okay, I want you to take it one step farther. If you raised your hand, then I want you to get up out of your seat and I want you to come up to this altar so that somebody can pray with you. What am I trying to get you to do? I'm trying to get you to do what James 5.16 says. Because I'm trying to get you to find healing. And there will be 40 or 50 hands that go up and there will be four or five people down here. Why? Shame. I can't go. I'm a leader. I'm a worship leader. Cassidy, you shouldn't have got up here and shared how you deal with fear sometimes. They're going to think you're a sinner. They're not going to want you leading them in worship anymore. You horrible heathen. Now, tell me, did any of those thoughts even cross your mind when you were up here? Like, walk down. Does it, like, enter in? Like, if I say something, then it's, 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 people are going to think something. Right? Why do you raise your hand when everybody's eyes are closed, but you can't make a step forward when everybody's eyes are open? Because the devil wants you to think something's wrong. You sinner. And you're the only one. And I try to even help you. I'm like, there are hands all over the room. This altar should be full. Like, I'm trying to encourage you. You're not the only one. Come on, just take that step. You can do it. I want you to find healing. We talk about small groups and getting together and Iron sharpening iron and everything. But yet we don't do it. Why? Because if I get in a group, they might find out who I am and they might reject me. And so my way of controlling things is I don't go to the group. Because I have a fear of rejection. I don't even try to connect. You see how shame affects our walk with God. And so it keeps us in a place where we're not healed. But the other thing it said was that if we would repent, then the blessing would come and the Spirit would be outpoured. And this isn't the only place that it says. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist says pretty much the same thing. He, he gave a pattern here for us. He said, I baptize you in water for repentance. But there is one who is common that is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. What is he showing here? Okay, Joel already showed this when he said repentance leads to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's saying what has to come first is the baptism of repentance. And then once repentance comes, then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit do you see why the devil wants us to be so covered in shame? Because if he can keep us in shame, we won't repent. And if we don't repent, then the outpouring of the Spirit doesn't come. Now, you guys have been reading about all this Asbury stuff. 
And it, Asbury didn't happen because some guy got up and preached a phenomenal message. And it was just the most amazing message. And everybody was just fired up. In fact, Melody read me an article the other day where the guy said, texted his wife after he preached. He was like, well, that was horrible. I'm on my way home. I'll be home. So it wasn't that it was a phenomenal communicator entered the room and his words just moved on the heart of people to the point of where they all began to just fall on their face and repent of the sin. No, it had nothing to do with the communicator at all. There were some kids that stayed around. And all of a sudden, one of them just began to say, you know what? I'm a fake this is going on in my life. This is a sin going on in my life. And he began to repent of all the sin that was going on in his life. And then another student said, I'm struggling with the same thing. And they began to repent of the sin. And then they began to pray for one another, which is exactly what James just said. If you will confess your sin to one another and you will pray for one another, then, then the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. And then from there, and if you watched any of the revival, there were times where they would repent for the sins of the nation. And then they would worship God and they would cry out and they would pray. It was all this in, 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 in practice. Repent Repentance comes, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes. If we can't get past our shame to the point of repentance, we will not see that outpouring here. We will read about it in other places. And we may even take a trip to go see it so that we can be a part of it. I don't want to just see it, and I don't want to just read about it. I want to be free from shame. I want to be free from the thing to where if there's things in my life, I can repent it to people, and I can say, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. I don't have to control things. I don't have to be afraid of whether you like me or you don't like me. This is who I am right now, and I need Jesus in my life. And when people will say that, God says, I see that broken heart and that contrite spirit here's my spirit no longer will you struggle with that sin anymore because my spirit will empower you to walk free from it and see here's the thing though you can amen me and you can clap me and you can nod your head but will you rend your heart and really show what's inside of it that's the question are you just going to stay afraid of somebody rejecting you and try to control and manipulate every relationship and situation? See, we can all say we want revival. But revival comes in response to repentance. Until we rend our heart. See, this is who I am. Nobody in Summersville campus who's perfect. Nobody watching this on TV, in the prison cell, in the nursing home, any of that. Yes, we have flaws. But no, it's not hopeless. Because we serve a God who is gracious, who is compassionate, who is rich in mercy and great in, and rich in love. takes our brokenness and he restores it 
not to a broken, patched up state, but to the condition he desired us to be in all along. But restoration is on the other side of repentance. Revival is on the other side of repentance. Will you stop believing lies of shame? so that God can pour out his spirit in your life. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.